grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends in Christ, um, to say that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that New Testament reading that we already listened to, to say that that chapter is the wedding chapter in the Bible would be common, but it might not be totally accurate. I don't know if it would be called a mistake or not, but it's been used at weddings. I've used that text and preaching at weddings that I've performed. But if you were listening, you realize it isn't strictly just about weddings, is it? It isn't just about the relationship between a husband and a wife. It really, it's about Christian love. Maybe if you would like, you can maybe have uh, that page open in your bulletin as we're going to read, not all of it, but we're going to read a little part of it. But really, it's about Christian love um, between, yes, a husband and a wife, but between parents and children, sibling, brothers and sisters, um, fellow believers, one to another, believers with those that are not believers uh, outside of the church. It's really about our lives as Christians. Last Sunday on Good Shepherd Sunday, remember, we, we talked about the essence of a disciple of Jesus was hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd, okay? But maybe this, afternoon, this morning, um, we might say that the mark or the characteristic, what distinguishes us or what identifies us as Jesus' disciples is love. And that leads me to the theme that I've provided, loving like Jesus. And the goal of this sermon is to know his love so that we can show his love. Um, this, we probably should recognize right off the bat, as I talked with the children, there are different kinds of love, aren't there? I love my wife. I love my children, I love pupusas, <laughs> I love sports and watching sports. I hope you're all going to join me in rooting for the Bucks this afternoon. Uh, but the same word, love, we use the same word for all of that, but they're different kinds of love, aren't they? Okay. In the Bible, um, well, let me put it this way. The Greeks, who were thinkers, who were philosophers, they have different words for different kinds of love. Some of you have probably heard about this already, right? And when the Bible describes, there's words for um, like romantic love. There's um, words for like the respectful love of like partners. And there's also the word that's always used to describe God's love for human beings. And it's also the same word that God uses when he asks us to love him and others. Maybe you've heard it, agape, right? Or agapao is the verb form of it. It's a different kind of love maybe than what the world thinks about, okay? First Corinthians, this letter that we're looking at here or this section comes from, it's a letter of, of rebuke, all right? Paul had started a congregation in Corinth. Um, he had spent some time there, and then as he was an apostle, he continued on and 
went and founded other churches, and he left the church in good hands, but there were problems. There were abuses, and it really all in Corinth, it all stemmed from a lack of love, right? There were factions, like there were parts of the congregation that said, we, we, we like to follow Paul. And others said, well, now Apollos is uh, our leader, our spiritual leader. We like to follow. And others, you know, kind of, if you understand what they say, what they were saying, but we follow Jesus, you know. But there's a little bit of good in all of it, but basically there were these factions. In fact, we hear some of the members were calling other members to court over trivial matters. So totally a lack of love. They couldn't even celebrate communion together without having divisions and sort of uh, dividing themselves. So there were a lot of abuses. And Paul, when he heard about this, he reacted in a loving way. And he wrote him a letter of correction, of rebuke. That's love also, right? And one by one, he dealt with these issues and always faithfully pointing them to Jesus and his forgiveness and always clearly pointing them and encouraging them to live their new life in Christ. In chapter 12, just before the words that we heard, the issue is spiritual gifts. The fact that God has blessed believers with different gifts for serving, right? But even that became a point of division for them because there were some that thought that they were superior and their pride were, was swelling up. And then naturally there were others that were made to feel like inferior and they became jealous. And even the whole idea of spiritual gifts caused division. Paul deals with that too and he reminds them spiritual gifts are, come from God. It's not something, you know, God has blessed us in different ways, but it's all for the good of the body, for the good of the church, right? And then Paul says, now, just before the words that we read, now I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that's when he gets in, and again, if you're, if you're able to follow along or have the second reading in 1 Corinthians, the first three verses, I'm not going to read those, but Paul talks about the importance for all believers of Christian love. He says, if I do this and I uh, perform these wonderful deeds, whether it's speaking or knowledge or actions, we would say maybe if pastor preaches a great sermon and if the members are, uh, demonstrate their faithfulness in coming to church and they volunteer a lot of time and they generously provide offerings, and if we do all of that, Paul says, but without love, then what? It's like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. Paul says, if, all, if I do all of that without love, I am nothing. And I gain nothing. Christian love, then, is not just something that's optional or a relatively minor matter. Christian, Christian love is everything. Now, before going on, permit me just a real quick word of warning because sometimes this has happened. Sometimes the word love is kind of used as an excuse to defend something that God calls sinful, right? You know what I'm saying? Somebody can say, well, 
I did that, or I'm doing this, or I think this way, because of love. We can't separate the idea of love, Christian love, from the rest of the Bible, or just give it our definition. And that's why it's so important, and I'm going to read these verses again, verses 4 to 7, it's right in the middle. These are the verses that are most familiar. It's this beautiful description, a perfect description of Christian love. Love is patient. I'm not going to comment a lot on all these, but I'm kind of just going to read it a little slower so we can just let it sink in, you might say. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. When you listen to that, and you've heard it many times, when you kind of look at it again, just to reiterate, it doesn't sound like love is all about the feelings that we have, correct? Not according to this definition. Our feelings, our emotions come and go. They fluctuate, they grow, and they fade. This love, the love that God is describing here, using that word, agapao, is doing something. It's a verb. It's an action that is done in love. And if we want to summarize it, like I said, we could try to find examples. Do we really need to find as we read that, didn't we all think of our own lives, right? Yes or no? Didn't we, can, aren't we able to think of ourselves as we hear these words? Okay? So maybe to summarize it, how about these three words? Let's try to summarize Christian love. Unconditional, committed, and useful or practical. About that. Unconditional. What does that mean? Well, Christian love doesn't depend on the other person, the object of the love. It doesn't depend on how they receive it or how they react to it. On their keeping their end of the bargain. It's nothing mutual. Now, I'm not this section right now, we're not learning about promises, and if you make a promise, you should keep your promise. That's all good and well. But that's not what this section is about. This section is about Christian love. Christian love is unconditional. Not depending on the other person. Like a couple who meet and fall in love, you might say, and have an attraction for each other, and they have a lot in common, and they like the same things. And all of these circumstances match up. But sometimes, with time, what happens? My appearance is different. My experiences are different. Things are different. 
love doesn't depend on those reactions when it hurts, not even on the circumstances. Love is committed, consistent, whether it's easy or hard, whether I like it or not, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, like grandpa. I'm just going to use an example. Grandpa lives with the family in the house. He's getting up in age, and every once in a while he shows it. One day, family comes home, and where is grandpa? It turns out he went out for a walk, but he got lost. And they went out and brought him back in, and nothing happened. But then another day, they come home, and he had left the stove on. And he could have maybe burnt himself or burnt the And little by little, they decide, the son decides, dad needs to go someplace for his own good. But dad, don't worry. Every day after work, I'll come and visit you. So it was a hard decision, but they go ahead and do it. And every day, gets out of work and goes and visits dad. Until one day he's busy at work and he just misses. Just this one time. And then it gets a little bit easier. Just, I'll go every three days every week. And then this is hard. Well, I'll, I'll just make sure we spend a lot of time on Saturday. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes our commitment might fluctuate. I'm not pretending that all of these are easy issues, right? But you kind of get my point. Love is a unconditional, and it's committed, and it's useful to not think about what I like or prefer, but to think about what another person needs. This is the description of love that Paul gives us here. And then finally, the last verses, and again, I'm not going to read these, but the foreverness of love. Remember how Paul at the end talks about how other things might fade, um, prophecies, tongues, interpretation, knowledge, all of these things have a good purpose here on earth. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But Paul says the greatest of these is love. Maybe because it's no, no other reason than this. God is love. These words are in the Bible. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. They're also there for all of us and all believers of all times, right? But I think these words, and I'm thinking of verses 4 to 7, you could hear these words or words like them in a Jewish synagogue, part of the Buddhist philosophy in a Hallmark movie on Twitter. And I think the reaction to everything in verses 4 to 7 would be, how beautiful, how wonderful. We're all in favor. What makes these words unique and important for us And what makes this truly a blessing for us are these three things. Thinking about this description of Christian love, first of all this, love is what God 
expect of us. Remember how Jesus summarized all the commandments with two words? Love God and love your neighbor. Can you guess what word he used for those? Agapao, agape, right? To love God and love your neighbor as yourself. God expects this kind of love from us, and he has a right to judge it. And as we're looking at today in the worship folder, the whole theme of today, our nature is what? Our sinful nature seeks to glorify ourselves and not to love others. Verses 4 to 7 would be a good, a good practice would be to take verses 4 to 7 and read those every day. And the first step would be to say, Lord, I confess, I have sought to glorify myself, and I have not sought to love you. In fact, and I'm going to say this for myself, and I, I realize this, if I really think about this, I have never loved anyone or anything except myself in this way. But that's not the end. Second point, love is what Jesus did for us and what Jesus did for you. You could take these words in verse 4. You could take every phrase, love is patient, and you could find a Bible story about Jesus and attach it to that, couldn't you? Love does not envy. Or love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. If we wanted to, we could find a Bible story and we would realize that this is a description of Jesus himself. God so loved the world. Guess what word? Agapao. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the kind of love that Jesus showed you and me and all people through his death and his resurrection for you. To borrow words from the communion, Jesus' words about communion, Jesus loved and did that for you. And that's also then, love is what he wants us to show others. Doesn't matter if we like the person. <laughs> Doesn't matter if that's a person that we would like to play golf with or have coffee with or even go on a cruise and spend a week with them or not. Doesn't matter if that person would not like to spend a week with you on a cruise. We love them. Doesn't matter how much we have in common or if we're from two different worlds. God calls us to love others like Jesus loved us. In the family, certainly. In our congregation, absolutely. With those outside, yes. But especially in a congregation of believers where we daily have the opportunity to have different gifts, different ways of thinking, come from different backgrounds, and we in love can overlook those and work together to one goal. Not to glorify me, but to 
glorify Jesus, spread his word, do whatever we can for that. The disciples of Jesus, the new command that he gave his disciples that we heard about, right, in the gospel lesson, love one another. It's not optional. One author said, what the sun would be like without light, such is a Christian without love. Not that it's easy. Not even that it's natural. But what's new about this command is that Jesus has given us the reason to love others. Because he first loved us. Loving like Jesus, right? Jesus is the source of love. He's the pattern and he's the power for our loving. Loving Jesus is to know his, loving like Jesus is to know his love and then it is to show that love to others. It's the most excellent way. Jesus' way. May we walk in that way day by day, week by week, loving like Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.